0: Today, I feel pretty special because up to this point, Kyle has never shown up for any of my sermons. So thank you for coming. Uh, Thank you for doing that. Um, I'm glad Kyle could take a break today because he does. My dad was a pastor. I saw all the long hours that he put in day in and day out. And it's nice sometimes to be able to come and worship and not have to be up on stage. Um, So I'm glad we could do that today for you. Last time I was up here... um, Told you a little bit about my son, and just an update for you guys, we are actually getting sleep at night. Well, sorry, hold on, hold on, before I get in trouble at home, my wife is eight months pregnant, so I am sleeping at night. She is not sleeping. But we are getting ready to start this whole crazy journey over again, Um, becoming parents for the second time, and a lot of people have given us encouragement, and a lot of people have given us uh, warnings, I'll just put it that way, that our life is going to get much more difficult, um, and we're hoping that maybe they're wrong. That being said, today, um, I'm going to start out with a confession with you guys. I'm a man, and sometimes I don't think through things. Yes. Does anybody else in here know a man who doesn't think things through all the way? All right, I'm trying to see who's going to be in trouble tonight. Some wives are raising their hands here. But I have a story, and I've told you stories before of how every time I try to do something or put something together, it generally doesn't work the first time. So in my bright brain, I decided I was going to try to reground my shower a couple of weeks ago. And I just decided I wanted to do it before the new baby came because there were a couple of cracks. Probably wasn't a big deal, but it was like a project that I could tackle, that I could have some success before the new baby came. And so I did all this research. I watched probably hours of YouTube videos, made sure I knew exactly how to do it. I got every single tool lined up and I started. I started at 10 AM and I said, this is going to take me five hours, which if you've ever done that, you're already laughing at me now because you realize it's a much longer process than that. But I turned on this tool and I started, I started taking out all the old grout and I got a decent chunk of the one wall done, maybe a third. And I was like, man, this is a lot of work. And I said, well, at least I've, I've only taken about 10 minutes to do this and we're good to go. And I looked down at my watch and realized almost an hour and a half had gone by. It was at that moment, I don't know if you guys have ever done anything where you've, you've started something and then immediately you can remember the exact moment where you realize, what did I just do? It was at that moment I realized I was going to spend my entire day destroying this bathroom to hopefully, because I had never done this before, hopefully have a good bathroom by the end of it. And I was too far in to back out now. So I spent the entire day working on this, grouting all this stuff, getting it done. Finally, about 8 o'clock that night, I got it done. And you can be a judge whether it was a good job or not. That's fine with me. But my point is, as, as, a, as a human being, we tend to have a very short-term perspective on things. And I know men get a lot of crap because we tend to just do stuff. I'm not going to ever ask for directions. I'm totally that stereotypical guy but we tend to have this very short-term view where we don't always see what the end result's going to be, or we think, oh, we'll just figure it out along the way. So what I want to talk about today is having an eternal perspective in our lives. And if you get nothing else from today, I want you to imagine this. For those of us who are gifted with awful eyesight, we have to wear glasses every day to be able to see, right? For me, I wear contacts a lot. I don't really like glasses, but it's this idea that I can't function without it because I can only see what's directly in front of me. And so today I want to talk about this idea of having an eternal lens, where we take on all these things that God has taught us in the Bible and what we know about Jesus and we put these lenses on so that we can see the world, we can see the people around us with an eternal perspective. So I want to take you kind of through the journey of my life since graduating college. And honestly, it's kind of, it's very vulnerable for me. And there are a lot of times I wanted to scratch this part out of my sermon, but at the same time, I, I know how important it is to be part of the community, right? And so our stories about how God has taken us through tough times, but how he has delivered us or what he's taught us, those are very important. And so I want to be vulnerable with you guys so that you know that this is what community is. So about four years ago, um, I graduated college, I, was, I graduated with my ministry degree, I had all these um, beliefs that I was going to go straight into being a pastor, I was going to be a youth pastor, and I spent months and months and years and years studying theology, studying how to be a pastor, studying pastoral counseling, studying how to deal with teenagers, um, which was actually a whole class in and of itself, if you don't believe me. And I got out with this idea that I was going to immediately find this position and God was just going to start using me. Fast forward a month, two months, three months, four months. I applied to be a pastor at a couple churches and didn't get anywhere. Didn't even get in the door for an interview. And immediately I realized that what I thought God was doing in my life, I had somehow failed him. And so instead of turning to him and saying, well, God, why, this doesn't make sense. Why is this happening? I immediately withdrew and I turned into myself. And so over the next few months, I began to decide, well, Maybe I had screwed something up. Maybe I had done something and God couldn't use me in that way. And so I I decided to start looking for another job. I ended up in the insurance industry and I just gave myself to that because I said, well, obviously I screwed up too much. I'm not going to find a pastoral position, so I've got to figure out my own way. And so I dug into that and I put all my effort into that, trying to make something of myself in that industry. And it did not go well. For the first year and a half, two years, it went awful. I was really not not in a good place because I had put everything I had in this idea that I could build myself up into something because I had already messed up. or I had missed out on what God had originally wanted. And so I took over because it was less painful for me then than to turn to God and figure out why he was walking me through this situation. And the more I, I dug into that, I, I developed this... Intense sense of anxiety over my life. This intense sense that no matter what I did, I would never be good enough. I would never find out or figure out what God actually had for me. And it it developed into this depression where I was having trouble getting up for work. I would show up to work three days a week, two hours late. To the point where my boss looked me in the eye and she said, you need to decide if you want this job. That's probably the most gracious thing she ever did to me, right? And so I decided that enough was enough, and not having learned from my previous experience, I dug into doing everything I could to possibly make myself better, to build me up. I listened to every podcast you can imagine. I went to every workshop on productivity and sales and and just generally being a a better human being, and I gave into this idea that I could dig myself out of this. I could pull myself up by my bootstraps, and I would be able to deliver myself. And I never hear me on this. I never stopped going to church. I never stopped talking about God. I never stopped singing these songs. But in my heart, I had turned away from Jesus. And I put all of my eggs in the basket of, Justin, you're smart enough, you're capable enough you can do it. You can pull yourself up. And things got better. They felt better. Like I had some success at work and I felt better about it. But every single time where I would, I would trip and I would stumble, the crippling anxiety would come back to the point where I couldn't function, I couldn't talk to my wife. Later on when my son was getting ready to be born, I was I was absent at times because it was overwhelming. And this continued and it continued to be something that I would just I would slap a band-aid on and say, I can do it. I can I can change my behaviors. I can learn to communicate with my wife better. I can learn to be a better father. I can just if I put a bandaid aid slap it on it, it'll it'll eventually go away, right? but it was a wound that was festering in my soul. And so fast forward to um, earlier this year, I had a very deep and very just honest conversation with my wife where I said, I don't know what I believe anymore. I don't know because all this time I've been trying to like figure out, like, does God, does God have a plan for me? Did I screw it up? Like, And when I try and go to church and I try to talk about him, I try to pray for him, I can't hear him. So, like, why? Is this even real? And I've asked him to deliver me from this anxiety. I've asked him from this. And and every single time, it always came back, she would ask me, haven't you been doing this on your own? Because I would pray and immediately when I didn't get a quick fix, I'd be like, I'd be like, fine, you don't care. Like, I'll just do it. And this wasn't always a conscious thought, right? This was just how the way my life lived out. Every chance I had to trust God, I would turn away and I would trust myself and say, maybe I can figure this out. And Back in March, I went to the beach on vacation and I was really trying to just talk to God and figure this out. And I was literally begging him, like, God, I don't want to be this way. Help me to trust you. And I was sitting there and... Had a lot of time. My hands just thinking, looking out at the oceans. And there's a there's a passage in scripture where Jesus is with his disciples, and they're out on this boat, and the waves start and come, and then all the disciples think that's going to overtake the boat, and Jesus is sleeping. <laughs> he's sleeping through this ruckus, and then he they wake him up, and he he stands over the ocean, and he says, "Be still, be calm," and the oceans just stop. And I was thinking about that, and then. God said this to me at that moment. And this isn't, I don't want you to think like, God, I heard an audible voice. And I don't know if I give more credit to the story or less credit, but in my heart, I knew that God was speaking this to me. The same voice that can calm the seas can calm your heart. And that was a moment where we talk about, Kyle was talking about this Ebenezer, this, this thing that, In scripture, they would construct an altar and it would literally be a visible reminder that God met them here at that place. That is one of those moments where God, I encountered God in a way where I can look back at it and say when the waves feel like they're crashing over, this is what God says. So I found that my anxiety, and before I say this, I want to put it just a disclaimer out there. I'm not saying that all anxiety and all depression is just because you don't believe enough. Right? We know enough about mental health that, that there are definite times where there's more to it. But for me, I wholeheartedly believe that my anxiety stemmed out of me being out of sync with my creator. See, he was calling me to himself. He was calling me to have a relationship with him. And every single time I would dip my toe in that water and I would back out because it wasn't everything I thought all up front. Or I I wasn't willing to give up my control. And so my anxiety came from me not being in sync with the voice of God. And when he spoke to me, when he said those words in my heart, I knew that was God speaking to me. And immediately, the waves vanished. So when those feelings come on, because they're not gone, but I can trust in the voice of God and what he has told me. And what I know about him. And so I tell you that story in the light of this idea of the eternal lens because I believe that our our anxieties, our stresses, the things that threaten to overturn us now, God is calling us to see them in light of his overall plan for your lives. That when we turn our eyes to Jesus and what he is doing in the scope of eternity, they start to fade away. At least they have in my life. And so then the question really is what does having an eternal lens mean or what are we what are we seeing through that See I think from a lot of me growing up and just what was taught the idea of eternity was one day you're going to die and you're going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell and that was that was it That was the extent of what I knew they said if you did enough good things you go to heaven if you do, if you don't you'll go to hell but what we don't really want to talk about hell so uh, just do some good things. Like that was what was taught to me, and that was the extent of it. So, what was the what was the purpose of you know believing Jesus? Now, is there anything? Does it change me, or is it just uh, well make sure before I die I need to say the, that specific prayer so that I can go to heaven? And I would argue that Jesus' plan for us and for the world is a little bit deeper than that. After Jesus left, a lot of his disciples. Um, were persecuted, um, were chased down, killed, banished. But they kept on speaking about everything they had seen and heard about Jesus. And so, John, the disciple who actually wrote the Gospel of John, when um, the the Romans had actually kicked him out and banished him. And so they banished him to this, this island called Patmos. And it was there that God spoke to him and gave him this entire book called the Book of Revelations. And, Honestly, if I can just speak completely honestly, it's an extremely confusing book. (laughs) I would encourage you, if you start reading through this, uh, speak with Kyle, speak with someone, with a pastor, and work through this because there's a ton of imagery and um, there's a ton of stories in there. Basically, what God was giving him was this uh, this story of how God was going to take control in the end and his kingdom would be fully realized on earth. See, the Romans were, were rounding up all these Christians and persecuting them. And so this book was given to John, and it was basically saying, like, listen, I know times are tough, but God will win in the end. And so we pick up in chapter um, 21 and verse 1, and it's not going to be on the screen, but I'll read it to you here. And this is John speaking. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things had passed away. Now he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. See, I think many times we forget that God has a plan for just all of this, right? Like he's not just interested specifically in me. He's interested in everything he has created. And ultimately he promises that he will come back and he'll make everything right. And as a Christian, this is what we should hope for. More so than just our personal um, saving when we die. We should hope for this world where there is no more pain. There's no mourning, no crying, and no death. And God promises that to us. He says he's going to remake the earth and the heaven and that everything will be remade in a new way. God's plan for creation is to bring all things to himself. so our hearts and our lives they have a direction they're always heading towards like i truly believe that that our heart has a direction and what i mean by that is we can either be turning our heart towards god or we can be turning our heart towards ourselves and for the longest time i turned my heart towards myself right i i thought i could be my own savior It was never a conscious thought. That's just how the way, that's how I live my life. I look back and I see that. I thought that I was more trustworthy than God himself. The God who created me. The God who designed me. I thought, I truly believed I was more trustworthy. That's the way I live my life. And so when our hearts turn towards ourselves, instead of just reflecting it, it it just continues to cycle deeper and deeper and deeper into who we are. It informs the way we live. And ultimately, it's going to be reflected in the moment that we meet Jesus face to face. Scripture always also talks that at the end of time, Jesus is going to return and we will all meet him face to face. And for some of us, that's probably terrifying. It was for me <laughs> to think that this God who we come and worship that's so amazing and so mighty, like I, we will meet him face to face. And we know, we know in Scripture, we just read it, that he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. But how do we know that when he looks at us, what he will think? See, God's going to establish this forever kingdom on this new earth. And the question for me is, how do I know that I'm going to enjoy that? How do I know that I will be able to enjoy that? And I desperately desire that God will one day look at me and say, Justin, I know you. Welcome in. In the Gospel of Luke, there's a story which many of us have probably heard before. It's called um, The Parable of the Prodigal Son. And I just want to read through that today because this has become one of the most powerful uh, testimonies to me of God's love for us. And this, to me, is the gospel of what God came to do for us. So I'm going to read through it. um, Once again, it's on to scream, but I'll just read it here. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. See, I think our shame, our anxiety, tells us that we're not worthy. And the gospel also says we're not worthy. And you're like, well, hold on, Justin. That's not very inspirational. The gospel is not that we are worthy or can be made worthy, that but that God chooses us anyways. See, in this story, the son literally goes up to his father and says, I want my inheritance now. I actually wish you were dead so that I could have my money. And then he takes that money and he just goes off and blows it all. And he gets to this such a deep place where he literally says, man, my father's servants can eat and I can't. Maybe if I go and I... You know, make myself his servant, or uh, maybe if I if I tell him how desperately how sorry I am, that he'll he'll welcome me back and I can be his servant. But I'll never be a son. But what happens? The father sees his son far off and runs to him. See, so often we live with this idea that I'm going to have to earn back God's favor in my life. Maybe I'll have to earn back his forgiveness. But the father didn't forgive the son after he got to him. The father had already forgiven him long before the son came home. But the father was in relationship with the son because the son turned his heart back to the father. See, for so long in my life, my heart was turned so far into myself that I could not see the father that was opening his arms to me and wanting to celebrate with me. So my heart and my prayer today is that when we decide that we're going to look through our lives with an eternal lens, we're always going to have that picture in our head. That at the end of time, God is going to create his kingdom. I will meet Jesus face to face. And that informs how we live today. Because my heart and my hope is that he will look at me and say, welcome home. This doesn't just inform how... I live, but it informs how all my other relationships in my wife in my life look. My relationship with my wife. Marriage is taught to us that it makes you happy and that when you're not happy, you get out of it. The Bible teaches us that men are supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church, making them blameless before God. My number one job as a husband is to point my wife towards Jesus so that at the end of time, I can, when I meet Jesus, I'll be able to say, here's my wife. I'm so glad that you know her. I'm so glad that she knows who you are. My job as a husband is not to be the best husband I can be, but to point to Jesus. And My job as a father is to point to an even better father. See, I've tried and I've spent years and years of my life trying to change my behaviors so that they fell in line and they made everything better. But I can tell you now, it will never be sustainable because your heart will always shine through. Jesus is after your heart today. And he's not saying you have to come and offer some offering for him and say, man, I've really screwed up, but here's all the things I'll give to you. All he's saying is welcome home. And the only requirement is a heart that's turned towards him. And so my hope and my prayer is that we would find comfort in that that we would trust in all these things that we've heard about Jesus and what he came to do and what he's still doing, and that we would trust that his word is enough, that he loves us and he will run to us. See, the father celebrated after that. His son that told him he, was, he would rather that his dad was dead and he took everything, half of everything that his dad owned and just squandered it and came back, the father still celebrated with him as an honored guest because he was so thrilled that his son came back to him. So we turn our gaze towards Jesus because all that we see around us now will pass. We set our hearts on the Father and help our families do that as well so that when we meet Jesus face to face, he will say welcome home. That's my prayer today for all of us. And later we're going to do communion. I know Kyle's going to intro this, but as we're talking about this idea of of the Father's forgiveness already on the table before we even turn our hearts back to Him. Like, this is, this is the best example that we can, we can do of that. When Jesus laid His life down on the cross, He didn't do it before we turned back or said we're sorry. He did it knowing that He wanted a relationship with every single one of us. And so as we take the communion, it's a symbol of us recognizing His sacrifice, but also recognizing that His blood gives us the opportunity to be in relationship with Him. And so my prayer is that we wouldn't just take that as something that we do once a quarter or whatever it is, but something that means something to us today. Because God is desperate to be in relationship with you. He's desperate to be in relationship with me. And I I tell you my story because I want you to know that God met me in that place. And I think and I believe and I know that he wants to meet us all when we're in that place whatever it may look like for you. Would you pray with me? So Father, we just pray today that in everything we do, we would turn our eyes and our hearts towards you. Oftentimes it doesn't make sense, and oftentimes we don't like to give up that control. At least I don't. Lord, I also recognize that you have a plan for me and for all of creation, and Lord, I pray that my heart would be in alignment with yours. That when I meet you face to face, my family meets you face to face, my friends meet you face to face, God, that we would have chosen a heart turns towards you. In everything we do, God, we pray that you be with us and remind us that you are with us. In your name, amen.